I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. You can't think of actress, singer, and author Suzanne Summers and not think about her phenomenal success as Chrissy Snow on the 70s sitcom Three's Company. But there's so much more to Suzanne, whether it's the lessons she learned from an abusive childhood, battling against cancer on her own terms, an amazing story of survival in Hollywood, and all of the things she's involved with designed to make us live longer. In the following conversation, Suzanne takes us on a journey through it all, every bit of it, even the serious parts, punctuated by laughter. What do you want to know from me, Ed Gross? I, w- I will tell you, Suzanne Summers. Uh, I'm, I'm curious for you, if it is mind-blowing at all, how busy and involved in different things you are at this stage of your life. Yeah. You know, and... Um... You know, you have to, to, uh, uh, I, I now get it. I now get that we, these careers are high and low and high and low. And you don't learn anything when you're high. You learn when you're low. And that's when you have time to sit back and think. Mm -hmm. And every time I now know when I kind of hit the top of the mountain and there's nowhere to go further up, you can kind of start going down. That's the time to go left or right and reinvent I, we have actively reinvented over and over and over, and I've taken every big fist and turned it into rocket fuel, kind of a, oh, yeah, well, let me show you. Right. I'll I'll tell you where that came from. I grew up a child of an alcoholic. Okay. um, A a bad alcoholic, Mahoney, that runs in our our genes. And um, I've written several books about my father. The first one started the Adult Children of Alcoholics movement, um, which was called Keeping Secrets. Right. And um, it was on the New York Times bestseller list and then became a movie that I produced because it's the first time a celebrity ever told the tale on their self. It's easy to tell the father about your, the story about your alcoholic dad. Right. The other story is, what did it do to me? And what's the part that I played in it? And I remember being so badgered over and over and over again as a child. And I realized now bullies have to, to uh, bully you to stay with you. You're nothing. You're stupid. You're hopeless. You're worthless. You're a piece of crap. And um, I believed it. Wow. I grew up believing that I, I couldn't learn. I thought I was stupid. I was insecure. And um, in one night, my father came into my room and I wrote about this in Keeping Secrets. And my mother had made me my junior prom dress and I loved it. And my first big date. And I remember it. we picked up the sequins for the top. I've always loved sequins. Right. <laughs> okay. And, and the chiffon, two layers of chiffon for the skirt. One was pink and one was peach. And I couldn't wait. I went to bed dreaming about it. My father came in super drunk. Yeah. Super drunk. And um, uh, started ripping my dress up. Oh, my into God. Pieces. And my mother came in screaming, are you crazy? And he punched my mother in the breast and knocked her down to the floor and I picked up my tennis racket and with all my might I brought it down on my head because I was on his head because I was powerless 
Right. I'm 16 years old, and my father is beating up my mother. I'm absolutely powerless, and he was a he was a, a champion prize fighter. And um, I gave him a concussion. Good. And a, a lot of stitches, and took him to the hospital. And from there on in, I was afraid of my father. But what, what I realized later on is he was afraid of me, because for that one moment, I got the all show use. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't this anymore and i've used that sometimes the worst things in life become your rocket fuel to get you through life because there's no life without big fist events everybody you had them i've had them you will have more i will have more and so you can either be a victim when these things happen to you or you can say okay you know dust yourself off how can i learn from this how can i grow from this where's the lesson and so I've used that all throughout my career. When I was fired, uh, unfairly to this day, but I don't have a chip on my shoulder, but, you know, at the height of my career on Three's Company, when I'm on the number one show with the highest demographics of all women in television, I get fired for renegotiating because I wanted to be paid commensurate with the men because they wanted to make an example. If they could fire Chrissy Snow, then every other woman in television beware. And it worked. Right. It worked for a long time until Roseanne. Um, in today's world, um, I could have sued their ass and owned ABC, but at that time, the, the, uh, there were no movements or anything. And I decided not to be a victim. I got the all show use. And you know what I did? I went to Las Vegas. I used my fame and people were craving seeing Chrissy Snow again. And I hired the best Hollywood writers and choreographers. And I put together this big act and I brought Chrissy to life on stage in the middle of the show and the people would give her a standing ovation every night and in 1987 I walked on stage one night with Frank Sinatra he was named male Las Vegas entertainer of the year and I was named female entertainer wow. Las Vegas entertainer of the year so that's been the thrust of my career so when you say after all these years every some big life event happens. I've used it to work for me. And what's happened, it's worked for the better good, especially in these later incarnations. Well, I mean, and because you're talking about not only you're talking about the three's company situation, but I'm sure you're talking about the cancer situation. I'm sure you're talking about all totally. of these things, right? Totally. Cancer, again, you know, the day you hear those three words, you have cancer. Man, it rocks your world. I'm sure. And I walked down the beach with my husband that day, arm in arm, silently. And then I heard a voice. I hear voices, you know, Ed. Oh, that's nice. Okay. (laughs) As long as they're friendly voices. Go ahead. (laughs) They're always profound voices. And um, the voice said to me, you can handle this. And... I get back in the house and I said to Alan, I can handle this. And I decided that I could. And that's when I decided I'm not taking chemotherapy. And the doctor, when I said, I'm not taking you're going to die. I said, I honestly think that I'll die if I do what you tell me. I said, I cannot reckon with the fact of taking my weakened body right now. Now you're going to weaken it more with poison. It doesn't make any sense to me and it never will. And I'm not going to do it. And so that became the big brouhaha. It was on the news. And right. I remember, I think Dan Rather was still in the news. I remember him saying, Suzanne Summers, and she's not, she's not taking treatment. And it was like one of the first public things. But here I am. Here I am. 
and I'm my body's healthy and it's not all ravaged by poison. I didn't have to come back from the brink of death. I just did it my way through nutrition, um, detoxification, pancreatic enzymes, which, uh, what are enzymes? Pork uh, pancreatic enzymes are the most um, similar to human enzymes. Enzymes eat debris. So if you take massive amounts of enzymes away from meals, it eats debris. Guess what's debris? Cancer is debris. Toxins mm-hmm. are debris. So I did that for a few years, and I am NED, no evidence of disease. And so that that worked for a while. And then I realized I, I, I don't know what gave me that cancer, and maybe it was the childhood trauma because, you know, fear creates um, a circumstance. Right. But I, I decided to eat as though my life depended upon it. And I um, started growing my own food, eating organic food only. I eat like a horse, but it's got to be organic. I eat full fat, buttercream, sour cream, olive oil, full fat cream cheese. I love things like chicken piccata in, in lemon, lemon butter sauce. And I love my vegetables tossed in olive oil and garlic. And I eat great food, but it's all organic. And then I realized I can't put chemicals on my skin. I had this vision in my head about if you put your you put your arm under a microscope and what we know as pores under a microscope look like holes, big holes. And and then I envisioned rubbing expensive chemical creams all over my arms. And where were all those chemicals, which are foreign molecules to, you know, my body's reckoning, where's it going? It's going into my bloodstream. Where's it going to go then? It's going to wreak havoc. So that's how I started uh, Suzanne Organics, which you can get at SuzanneSummers.com. Um, it, it is grown organic. We, we, I keep looking in magazines. I don't see it. We've earned the certified toxic free insignia means it's been grown organically, extracted organically, and nothing upwind or downwind of the product can be toxic to contaminate it. Really hard, uh, stringent guidelines to follow, but every one of our products falls into that, that line with the exception of my toxic free nail polish. But what my nail polish is missing is the top 10 offenders. It's almost impossible, as we have found. We'll keep trying to make nail polish that will stay on that doesn't have, you know, a little bit of something in it. But a lot of women get a lot of diseases and sicknesses through their fingernails because nails are absorbed, you know, they absorb. And all these uh, manicurists, there's studies out about manicurists who can't conceive because they're dealing with the the the, the, they call them gels and it's all toxic chemicals. You probably have never walked into a women's beauty salon, but you can, if, if you're, if you're chemically sensitive, you got to walk out of there right away. And those women are sitting there all day long. So right. that led to books that, you know, one of my favorite books I've written is a book called toxic, which, which really approaches what toxins are doing to us. I wrote a book about cancer called knockout doctors curing cancer without drugs, which, is the number one, still the number one best-selling book in China, although they never pay you. Of course not. <laughs> um, our, our president is right. They cheat and steal. They take, they congratulate me on all the success I'm having in China. It's like, thank you. <laughs> and I'm going, hey, how about some money? 
no, we don't we don't pay for this. We just yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't play that game. <laughs> yeah, right, right. In fact, they invited me over there to speak for free, and I I thought, <laughs> what's that going to cost me? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then and then the next big thing that happened to me in my fifties was that um, I um, uh, lost my hormones. Something you probably haven't experienced yet, but you will, and everybody will. Great. And <laughs> looking damn. forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I figured it out, and I'm really proud. I brought bioidentical hormone um, hormones to the forefront in this country. It started a movement when I first started writing about it. I could only find 30 doctors in the whole country who were savvy. Now there's um, well over a million. I can't even put them all in a, a um, the back of the book. I created a website if you want to go to it, foreverhealth.com, a free service so women and men can find qualified doctors. So what is it? It's bioidentical, biologically identical to the human hormone, an exact replica of what our bodies make or once made. And so the whole concept, of aging this new way, which is the name of my next book coming out in January, a new way to age is you want to age the new way. There are two ways to go. You can go the way most people are most comfortable with and most likely will go. That's allopathic. What's allopathic? Allopathic is here's the problem. Doctor, doctor says, here's the drug for that problem. And um, that works because it's fast and it's quick, but you're getting a buildup of, foreign molecules in your body, which at my age now, I'm starting to see the results on my friends who've been allopathic all along. Or you can go the other way, which is the way I go, which is do a blood test, see where the deficiencies are. What are you deficient into then? Are you deficient in estrogen or testosterone or DHEA or human growth hormone or progesterone or all of them? How much are you deficient? And that lab test tells you exactly how much you put back of each, each different hormone so that I'm, that I'm not getting too much or too little. I'm like Goldilocks getting just right. And all it is, <laughs> right. you, get the, you, <laughs> you get these syringes of cream and you, you pump out the little bit in, on your recipe. I need a, a, a one milligram of this and two milligrams of that. And I rub my creams on and it, has allowed me to not gain weight, to have shiny young hair, not be very wrinkled, not be all face lifted up. I have a rockin' libido, which I realize is not a given at this stage of life, and sure. I have it. Uh, there's no Viagra for, well, actually, there is a Viagra for women. I just found I that for this is. new yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, but it's, I'm, I'm looking non-drug. I found the non-drug. Viagra, mm-hmm. which is a peptide shot. Peptides are natural peptides that you make in your own body. So I don't know. I'm having a ball, Ed. Well, good. And the greatest thing that happened to me was getting fired. You know why? It gave me enormous visibility, not only in this country, but around the world. It allowed me to have a louder voice in this world. Uh, not only in this country, but in major countries. You know, I, I was in Israel last week, uh, last month. I'm in Jerusalem. I meet Benjamin Netanyahu. He says to me, 
I know about all the books, but I've been watching you on Three's Company for 20 years. I said, <laughs> why are you watching me on Three's Company? He said, because the longest time we only had one television station in, in Israel and we only had one sitcom. He said, we had Three's Company. And then for drama, we had MASH. I said, that's hardly drama. He said, well, whatever. Well, it's more dramatic than Three's Company. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I look at it that way. Okay. Yeah, they had, they had blood and stuff like that. Exactly. We didn't have that. No. Anyway, I look at it, the power of television, the power of a louder voice, and the ability to use it well, and the ability to not ever look at any big fist that comes your way and be a victim. And I n never have been, never will be. And um, who knows what's going to go on in the next um, 50, 60 years that I'll be alive. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is that word you're using? It says the next big, I can't quite get the word you're saying. It sounds like fist, but I don't think you're saying fist. What are you saying? The word. Fist, like, like Rocky, a oh, fist in the face. Oh, okay. It is fist. fist. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that's yeah. what you were saying. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. Like, like, uh, shit happens. Yeah, no, That's I a get big it. Yeah. No, yeah. I, no, that I get. Right. You know, um, right. you know and yet it, it's, well, before I get, get to that, well, is there anything more you want to get on that? Because then I want to take you back in time a little bit. I mean, before Three's Company. Go for it. All right. Let's Go do that. I'm let's do lay out the, the uh, template that um, just sort of revealed itself to me. You know, life is a journey you can't plan. Yeah. And that, that everything single thing that happens to me has actually been of monumental importance for my evolution. You know, you brought up the Rocky fist and it kind of reflects the Rocky philosophy of, uh, you know, life ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and get back up. <laughs> <laughs> God, is that, say that again. Well, it's, it's true. It's in Rocky Balboa. He gives a speech to his I son. Know, I know, I know it, but you're, your accent is so Oh, thank perfect. you. Yeah, perfect. it ain't that. So, you perfect. know, I'll do that, you know. Um, <laughs> but okay, enough of that. But just keep, just keep talking like that. It kind of turns me on. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, you know, don't get mentally irregular, you know. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I met Rocky at a party last week. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know what you sound like? It's he very is. funny. His wife was in Rocky 3 in one minute. Like for one second, uh -huh. and she came over. She goes, "Can yeah. I have a kiss?" <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I always thought, um, if I ever did Chrissy Snow again, how would you age Chrissy Snow? Yeah. And my template of her, she would have aged like Edith Bunker, without the accent. <laughs> there you go. I don't know where Chrissy would have gotten the accent, but I, but I always thought that. That's pretty funny. So you go. I'm going to go. I talk too much. You do not talk too much. This has been wonderful. I'm very interested in it. So there you go. Uh, you know, you talked about the background with, you know, your dad and all that stuff. And I'm wondering, for someone who is in that sort of abusive situation, what makes you, or maybe it's an escape and that's why it is, what makes you start thinking about the idea of a career in acting? No. Man, I'd love to give you a profound answer, except. <laughs> okay. Uh Except um, when it was really bad, uh, I, I, we hid in the closet most nights. But during the day, if it was really bad, my parents had a closet that if you crawled way, way, way in the back, it was really dark. And the Mary Noel um, priests or missionaries or whoever they were, they're all looking for money, used to send these envelopes to my mother to get 
you know, some money out of her, out of her, what, $60 a week she yeah, had. Right. And she, as a good Catholic, sent it, whatever she sent. But as a gift to her, they would send these glow-in-the-dark dark, uh, rosary beads. Okay. So I would take the rosary beads way in the back of that closet and look at the glow-in-the-dark. And I'd have this vision. Because all we heard about when I was a little girl was you got to fight communism. you got to fight communism. And I didn't know what communists were, but they sure were bad cats. They sure needed and fighting. I used to have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They needed fighting. They needed fighting. And so I used to have this vision that I went to the top of the hill where all the communists were. And I, me, Suzanne, at that time, Suzanne Mahoney, said to the communists, why do you want to fight? And they looked at me and said, you know. You're right. And I brought about world peace. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, you're ambitious. You were ambitious when you were young. That's great. (laughs) But what doesn't that show the triumph of the human spirit in its littlest form there? Sure. So um, my my career uh, happened. I had one major, major, great, incredible shot. I, I got out of Catholic school, which is the best thing that ever happened to me. I wore my skirts too short, duh, and the nuns <laughs> found me not acceptable. Suzanne, so I went to the public school. <laughs> right. I went to the public school, and uh, because I couldn't learn at home with the craziness, I got into the fine arts department, and I got the lead in Guys and Dolls. Guess who? I'm Adelaide. And man, was I Adelaide at 16 years old. I was Adelaide. I morphed into that character. I'd never had studied acting or anything, but man, did I get who she was. And she had that voice that I was just doing. <laughs> and um, I don't know how. And you probably don't even know who this is. And I barely knew who it was then. But a guy by the name of Walter Winchell. Yeah, of course. Heard about this high school production outside of San Francisco where I was. Whatever got him to come that night. On closing night of Guys and Dolls at Cappuccino High School, and when it was over and we're getting our standing O, up walks this guy on stage in a trench coat and a pork pie hat, (laughs) and he comes right over to me and he says, you're going someplace, sister. And because of that, I got a scholarship to college, and I'm the first one in my family to go to college. And oh my, and oh my, did I choose the wrong college, because I was so indoctrinated by all the Catholic school so I took my scholarship at a Catholic girls' school, me, me, who got kicked out for a short, short skirt. Short skirts, so right, stupid. exactly, yes. Yeah, but when you're young and stupid, you're young and stupid. And um, I got pregnant, um, I guess that summer, with the guy whose last name was Summers, who I was going to break up with because he hated the success I had in Guys and Dolls, and I just wanted to break up with him. So I had sex once, if it was sex, and I got pregnant. And at that time, if you got pregnant, you had to get married. Yeah. So I had to get married. That's where that, that word had came from. And I was thrown out of school and sent away from home in shame. I, had the, I hid my pregnancy from my whole family, lied about premature baby, all that stuff you did back then. And um, now I'm married and I have a baby, which I adore, but I hate being married. And I hate that I feel I missed out on something. I missed out on something. I don't know what it is. And I, um, I divorced my husband, which no one 
ever got divorced then. I was the first one in my small hometown to ever get a divorce. It was shameful for my family, shameful for the small town. I moved further away. It was just me and my little boy. And I, when he was born and they pulled him from my body, he looked at me like, oh, God, you're my mom. And we made a pact. Go ahead. He did, Tell I your swear. story, but he, he did actually... not do that. <laughs> no, he actually even said it out loud. Oh, God, you're my mom. <laughs> go. As he came out, whoa. <laughs> go so he's all floaty and he's looking at me. But I said, and this is for real, okay. out loud in the delivery room, I promise I will make a good life for you. And I did. And I figured out how to feed him, shelter him, and clothe him. I figured out by the seat of my pants how to how to raise him so he wasn't screwed up. I made my living by uh, making chocolate desserts and selling them to restaurants in Sausalito, California. I made my living by making children's dressing, dresses and selling them on consignment to little children's stores that didn't go well. It cost me more to make the dress and, you know, and time and toil. But anyway, I made, there are a bunch of people who have little dresses made by Suzanne Summers who will never know how much they'd be worth. That's on right. Collector's items. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> collector's items. But somewhere in there was Rocky. I, I'll show you. How hard you I can may get be hit, the biggest screw get up, back up. Right. biggest screw up in the family. And maybe I messed up more than anybody in the whole family ever has. And I lost my scholarship, but I'll show you. And so three things happened in 1973. I had fallen in love with Alan Hamill by this time. And we're not married. And I just wanted to do anything to be with him. I was so in love with him. Right. And I read in the trade, don't ask me where I got the trade. I didn't have money to buy things like the trades. Maybe somebody left it at my house that they were looking for a guest starring part on the Dom DeLuise show, (laughs) a small town girl who doesn't know who she is and doesn't know what she looks like. And I thought that is so me. And uh, I was smart enough to know that. And so I called Alan and I said, I have an interview at NBC Burbank um, uh, tomorrow afternoon at four o'clock. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know I needed an agent. I didn't need know you needed anything. And rules were much more lax back then. So he said, great, I'll pick you up to the airport, which is all I wanted him to do. We go to NBC Burbank, and we are um, we go pull up to the, the guard. Why are you here? I'm here for the Dom DeLuise show. You know, if you say it with the right, uh, you know, uh, kind of confidence, uh, deliberate. I'm, I'm confidence. I'm supposed to be here. Oh, okay, go park over there. Right. So he parks over there. I go into where I'm supposed to go. It's the offices of Sam Denoff and Bill Persky, two incredible comedy writers I later worked with. And I see a bunch of girls who look like me, but much better. And they sign in and the receptionist gives them a script. So I sign in and I take the script. I'm called in and I read. And when I'm finished, uh, Sam Denoff says, very nice. And I thought, I know. I'm a small town girl. I don't don't know who I I am and I don't know what I look like. (laughs) How much better could I be? He said, we're going to give you a call back. And I said, thank you. So I go out to receptionist. I said, I have a call back. She said, well, good for you. I said, what is that? (laughs) They're going to call you back. I went, oh, when? She said, I don't know. I said, I mean, like today? She says, yeah. Oh, well, where do I go? 
And now she's irritated. Now I'm her problem. Right. She said, I don't know. And the next words that she said changed my life. Why don't you irritate it? Why don't you go wait in the commissary? So now it's around three in the afternoon. Nobody's in the commissary but me. I'm sitting there all by myself. I'm not drinking or eating anything because I don't have any money. Right. And in walks Johnny Carson. Okay. And I think to myself, oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's Johnny Carson. Oh, my God. There's Johnny Carson. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Johnny Carson is walking over to me. And he comes up to me and he goes, hey, little lady, what are you doing here? And I said, I have a call back. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I have lingo, right? <laughs> and he's like, and that's he, wild he said, stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I said, uh, he said, oh, Dom Delouis. Oh, he's a good friend of mine. Oh, I hope you get it. Now, uh, what I'd left out in between here, I had written a book of poetry because I'd always written poems because I was sad. What do you do? And I'm a writer and I'm sad. And I got them published. Don't ask me how. That's another whole long story. Okay. One of those strange stories. Right place, right time. And um, so I hand him a, my book of poetry because I don't have an 8 by 10 That was Wednesday. Friday night of that week, I made my national debut on The Tonight Show. Really? I had to write a bad check because I didn't own a dress. To wear on the Tonight Show it was seventy-five dollars. Oh, fiddly d, that's child of the alcoholic crap. I'll figure it out later. Let's right. create a crisis. And um, I, I, I only had one credit. I had been hired as an extra by George Lucas, and I got an upgrade to be the mysterious blonde in the Thunderbird in American Graffiti. Right. So that's my only credit. And I hear Johnny. I'm thinking as I'm standing behind that famous curtain. Oh my God, they must love my poetry. And I hear Johnny Carson say, well, we've all been wondering who the mysterious blonde <laughs> in the Thunderbird is in American Graffiti. Well, we found her. And they opened the curtain and the audience went, Woo! I had not seen the movie. Again, it was a money thing. When you're poor, <laughs> you can't imagine how poor you are when you're poor. And I sat down kind of on stun, like, what is this? And he loved me. Because I was so unpolished. Remember how he used to like that? Yeah. And he started having me on every month. I started making my living doing The Tonight Show. Um, and my little book of poetry became the number one best-selling book of poetry that year, along with Rod McEwen. Wow. And I was a regular on The Tonight Show eking out a living, doing a day job here and a day job there and a day job here. But now I got a credit, don't I? I don't realize this, but I'm that girl I always they, we always see on The Tonight Show. I don't know that's a credit. I don't know American Graffiti is a credit. I don't know this. Right. And they were doing Three's Company, and they had cast two other Chrissy Snows, neither of whom tested well, and Fred Silverman, who was the uh, president of ABC at that time, he said, I got the girl. I see her on The Tonight Show all the time. So, wow. Uh, talk about, was it planned? No. Was the universe guiding me? I think so. Because I think, I think the whole guidance, the, the incredible stardom I received on Three's Company, the incredible revelation i learned that man i'm talented i didn't realize it and then when i went to vegas and entertainer of the year and right i'm talented and i didn't know that because i never had anybody 
propping me up or boosting me. No, you never me. had the positive re- uh, reinforcement at all. Ever, yeah. ever. And then the firing. And why? Why? Why at the height of everything? Today, from where I sit, having just completed my 27th book, most of which have been New York Times bestsellers, I needed to have the celebrity, to have the loudest voice, to get the cancer, to develop the passion for cutting edge health, to open a channel for those who wanted to do it another way. And I see myself as being guided. And I don't mean this in any kind of pompous way. I'm just trusting in the journey that the universe has taken me on thus far. Yeah. It's far, you know, it's hard to argue with it, given the story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, I'm going, okay, we're, we've done enough, haven't we? <laughs> right. Nope, more to go, more to go. <laughs> what I so, wonder, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, the journey of life is always going to say. Well, and it is, And but I wonder for you, when you go from somebody who's come from, again, not to harp on it, but that bad background, the marriage, yep. you know, the unhappy marriage and all that stuff, then you get, and by the way, did Dom DeLuise come about? Did you get Dom DeLuise? Got, got that. Oh, you did. See? And married Alan Hamill. Got the guy. See? Got wow. the part. <laughs> they even got, got Dom DeLuise. Look at that. Um, I got Dom DeLuise. <laughs> got Dom DeLuise. But here's the thing. If, so to have this go from uh, Commissary, Johnny Carson, Dom DeLuise, going on The Tonight Show, the poetry books becoming so successful, getting hired for Three's Company, and then the whirlwind that Three's Company becomes, I can understand yeah. excitement. I can understand amazing do you ever feel overwhelmed by it all? Because this is such a different world than anything you had ever experienced before. No. And I think it's because I was a mother, you know, John and Joyce had no children. I always had a little boy to go home to. And, you know, in the height of three's company, I made dinner and it all. And my husband, my husband is so humble. My husband was the Johnny Carson of Canada. He was on late night every night. He'd had all the stardom. He walked away from his huge career in Canada to when I got fired to manage me and manage my business. And, and, uh, when I, when he came back from the negotiation and, um, we had received a phone call the night before the negotiation on three's company. Right. And, um, uh, there, we had gotten a phone call from the, uh, uh, the, somebody in management, ABC. And they said, you didn't hear it from me, but they're going to hang a nun in the marketplace and it's going to be Suzanne. So when Alan left the next morning for the meeting, there were no cell phones at that time. And he stopped and uncharacteristically turned back at me and he said, you know, this could all blow out of the water. And I said, no, it's a negotiation. We ask for this. They counter. You come back. They come back. We meet in the middle. All is well. Um, so I'm waiting at home for three hours, interminable three hours There's no cell phone. And I, there's a way the front door opens when it's good news. And there's a way it opens when it's bad news. That quiet opening when it's Uh, bad news, right? (laughs) Totally quiet. Yep. Enclosed quiet. And I lived in a multi-level beach house and I hear him slowly padding up the stairs. So I meet him at the landing and he looks at me and he says, you're out. I said, I'm out. Wow. He said, you're out. He said, they were going to fire you when I walked in the door. He said, it wasn't a negotiation. He said, you're out. And then he took me by the shoulders 
And he said, we're going to make this work for us. Now, was I ready to hear that right then? No. no. It took me a year of licking my wounds and why, why, why did I want more money and why and did, why wasn't I satisfied and why? And then I said to him one day, yeah, I think he knew it. <laughs> I said, I'd really like to do a Vegas act. And I had the name. So he was able to make a, a great deal for me in Vegas, a two-year deal. Right. He finally made a deal with Bernie Rothkopf, major mafia guy at MGM Grand, who uh, when Alan walked in his office, uh, Bernie's office, as he describes it, is a long, long office with nothing in it from the door to his desk. So just a long walk. And he said, Bernie Rothkopf sitting there at the desk with his head down writing something. He doesn't even look up and he says to my husband, what do you want? My husband says, I want a two-year deal for Suzanne Summers, and I don't care what the money is. And he said, looks up. He says, why do you want that? He says, because I know her. If she doesn't succeed the first time, she will. She'll figure this out. And so Alan made a deal that day for two years at the MGM Grand with better money than I was asking for three's company. Really? And then, yeah. So, um, so I, the pieces... The more I think about this unlikely, unlikely story, the more the pieces start falling into place of we all have a destiny and it's different for each of us. And right now with what I'm doing, you know, like I go to Vegas next week, I'm not singing and dancing in Vegas next week. You know what I'm doing? I'm lecturing to a room full of doctors. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to Sao Paulo, Brazil in November. You know what I'm doing? I'm lecturing to 7,000 doctors from all over the world because when the student is ready to learn, we learn. I couldn't learn in school and I thought I was stupid because of the noise in my head from right. hiding in the closet. But once I became passionate about this subject and I realized, wow, there is a whole other way to do this thing. There's a whole other way to keep your juice and be healthy and have energy and not turn into, you know, those stooped over old people. And I had a residency in Vegas two years ago at the Westgate. And I'm walking down the hall from the show one night, so triumphant. It was such a great act, best reviews I've ever gotten. Which, by the way, my husband and I wrote that act, Drinking Tequila, every night. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to Alan, I want to be doing this when I'm 80. I see myself on stage at 80. And um, we've learned the success to our marriages. He makes amazing coffee. And he brings it, it huh? in bed, <laughs> in bed, in the morning. I can smell it bubbling up. I wait for it. He brings me the coffee. When I want the second cup, he knows not to pass it across the bed because it's hot and it spills. He walks it around the bed. Nice. And then we share a tequila pretty much every night at Big Al's bar at our house. And that's when we put the act together. You know, I don't know if you drink tequila or not. It's the only thing I drink okay, because it's low sugar and um, uh, low to no sugar. Right. And um, it, you get, it's a little bit hallucinogenic. So I would sit, there's a, a Leon Russell song. I remember one night we're sitting in Palm Springs. I'd had my tequila and I said, listen to these words. Um, I love you in a place where there's no space or time. I've loved you all my life. 
you are a friend of mine. And when our life is over, remember when we were together. We were alone, and I was singing this song for you. And wow, nice. That's that's a Leon Russell song called mm. "A Song for You." Right. I called him the night I opened, and I said, "I want you to come." He's oh. I said, I make a big deal over you in my act. And this stops the show every night because you're, you're a poet. And this is poetry. He said, oh, I couldn't take that much attention, which is so weird for a performer. Yeah, right. I said, I could. <laughs> <laughs> and I will. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. All right, I'll take all your attention. Right. And I said, so you know what, Leon, one night, because he had a regular gig down, I think, at the Golden Nugget. I said, one night when you're in town, if our shows sync up, just come, sit in the back of the room and just listen to how your words impact the audience. And shortly, I'm glad I did that because shortly after that, he died. Oh, okay. So um, live performing, this is me like nothing else. Mm -hmm. I think 25 years of home shopping, which I've made a great living uh, selling my organic uh, skincare. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, all my businesses, cookware, uh, simmer sauces, the, God, I can't even remember what I sell. I sell so much stuff. We have over a thousand products, but I got used to talking and talking and talking extemporaneously. Uh, a, if ever I do like a commercial or something and somebody hands me a script, I go, let me just paraphrase. Let me just put it in my words. Cause if I can put it in my words, I can tell them the truth. And if I can't tell them the truth, I can't sell it. Right. And so for me, live performing, what I like about a residency, and I want another one in the next year or so, um, is that you, you don't do the same show every night because it's a different audience every night. And a savvy performer can feel what the audience needs and what they want. And you can feel it. When I uh, take my first applause, I, I listen to the tone of them. And then I know to start high or to start low or right in the middle. I can feel it every time. And it's, it's thrilling. That's the thrill of performing. And, uh, and then along the way, you get to travel with a cool band and sing, you know, how fun is that? So singing, entertaining, lecturing, um, uh, you know, my businesses, drinking tequila, Drinking tequila. <laughs> right. I should have my own tequila. And don't be surprised if the next time we talk, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Suzanne Summers' organic tequila, tequila <laughs> will be available for wow. the public. Wow, what a cool idea. See? I'd never thought of that. See? Cut, <laughs> cut me in. Cut me in. <laughs> yeah. I, I am going to go into the, uh, with the Suzanne Organics, we are going into the high-end non-THC CBD cosmetic business for pain and sleep and things like that. So that's exciting because sure. to not go in that direction is to, is to walk away from a huge opportunity. I interviewed a clinical trialist for my upcoming book. I wanted not anybody who was in on, uh, on, uh, you know, CBD or anything. I just wanted a scientist. They're nuts and bolts. They're, they're dry. And he explained to me how the human body, has endocannabinoid receptor sites all throughout it, including the brain, as if nature has been waiting for us all this time to give it what it wants to fill up that receptor site. The, the, the human body actually 
craves CBD. How about that? Yeah. So I found that very interesting. Absolutely. Why else would nature have grown it? You know? That's true. Well, I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was governor. They talked to him about his pot smoking or something. He goes, it's a leaf. But in reality, it's a leaf. You know, now there's the leaf with the THC and there's the leaf (laughs) without the THC. And they're two different animals. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah. when you look at everything you've been through, and this is this is interesting to me, and, and I really hope it doesn't come across the wrong way when I say it, is I look at your career, right? And, you you know, you go, you read on Wikipedia, you read the, the biographies online. Has, the, and, and then you've yet, at the same time that you're reading all these things like the controversy, the Three's Company thing, you and Alan and blah, blah, blah. But then you have all the success going on at the same time. Do you feel that the media over the years has really been fair or has it been so locked in? Well, she wanted all this money. She thought she was the biggest star on the planet and, and it bit her on the ass kind of thing. Or, or were they fair to you all these years? They never got me. Okay. And they never got me because I started out too honest and continue to be so I don't bullshit. And so when I said, when I was asked about three's company, I've had no training. Well, that pissed off everybody who had training. But there are some people who are autodidactic or some people who have, uh, who training may screw them up. You know, maybe if somebody tried to teach me how to be Chrissy Snow, I couldn't have figured that out. It was me trying to figure out how do you make a dumb blonde likable and hopefully lovable And I gave her a moral code, what she would and wouldn't do. She'd never tell a lie. She'd never steal anybody's husband's or boyfriend. And I embedded myself in that show to be able to live out the childhood I didn't have. To me, Jack and Janet were the parents and I was the child. And that was my childlike posture, my childlike clothes, my childlike hairdo. And in retrospect, I think it was kind of brilliant. But I didn't brag. I didn't say, oh, I went to the university of this and the school of that. And they, I'm the this and I won the this and I won the that because I didn't. And um, when we took charge of our own PR and started um, uh, focusing it to a constituency that um, is open and receptive, to who I am and my message. And that numbers well into the millions. I have 25 million books in print across the globe. Um, Amazing, amazing for a kid who hid in the closet. Um, It doesn't matter to me what the media thinks anymore. I try to find myself on a receptive show like this. And I think with social media, you you can kind of, of bob and weave and find yourself in the right place. Why put yourself in the wrong place where they're not going to like you? Uh, And I, I, the other people I see who probably would have had the same thing, who could have liked the Kardashians? Look what they figured out. Yeah. Look, Look what they figured out. Hats off to them. So this is a whole new world and the mainstream media doesn't have anywhere near or if any, anymore, the power influence it once had. The magazine covers no longer have the power or influence they once had. 
You you go on magazine covers like yours, like uh, several others I go on that are guiding themselves to my constituency and that constituency, the age disparagement is growing. It's it's now 40 and up all the way. Yeah. And um, nobody wants to age badly. So I got a secret. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You know, no, it's just, it's great to hear your, your positivity out of that because it is really, when you look at it, it is so one-sided in the way that it's painted that you were the villain basically and Alan were the villain and everybody else was yeah. like, what are they doing? They're, they're causing all this trouble and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, right. it, it's, it's great. You've come out the other side of that in the sense of your, your feelings about it. So, yeah. I can't say that wasn't hard at the time. Oh, sure. That misunderstood and to go, I, I, all I asked for was a raise. Mm-hmm. All I asked for was to pay me what they're paying the men who are not on number one shows. Right. Is John Ritter worth 15 times more than me? I was as good as John Ritter, you know? Um, so that, that was my frustration. That was my ego that I had to do the work on myself to swallow that. Because that thinking was going to do me in. It right. was, how can I use this to grow and not be angry? That's the big thing. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Don't be a victim. Right. Use it. Rocket fuel. Rocket fuel. Yeah. So. Getting hit and getting back up, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll give you your life back in one minute. I could, huh? I could listen to you do that accent all day. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know how wonderful it really is, but, but I've always liked it. No, it is. You know, know, my poor kids after it's like, after that movie came out and you know, my kids are like in their twenties or no, at that point, I guess they're in their teens. And I looked at them and I was just like, you know, it ain't about a hard life. You know, you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and get up and keep on going. (laughs) That's how winning is done. You know, (laughs) and isn't, aren't those profound, you know, a great writer is a great writer. Who wrote those words? Do you know? That's, yeah, Sylvester Stallone. That's <laughs> Did he write it? Yeah, he wrote all the scripts. Did he write those words? He wrote all the scripts, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yes, he writes. See, people don't that's give Stallone profound. enough credit because he's written all those scripts, and there's a lot of good stuff in those Rocky movies, except for Rocky Five. Uh, but there's a lot of yeah. good stuff yeah. in those movies, and, and he says a lot of profound things in it in his own subtle Rocky Balboa way. That... You know? is a profound, that's a profound state. That is as profound as the other one of this millennium, which was um, Rodney King. Can't we all all get along? along? Yep. You know, it doesn't have to be Shakespeare. It has to hit that that place in your gut. Absolutely. That you go, yeah, can't can't we all just get along? Yeah. And it's about about getting back up. And you, you know, know anybody so, can be knocked down. It's about getting back it up. is. And I'll tell you something. It was very funny with Rocky, the Rocky series, not to go off on this whole tangent here, because obviously I like the Rocky movies. Uh, yeah. I was 16 when Rocky came out. So the message of going the distance was very profound to me. I was I'd, 46 when Rocky Balboa came out saying you can keep going. You don't have to let life beat you down at this age. You can keep going. That's very profound Absolutely. stuff. And that's like two ends of okay. a spectrum, you know, for, for a guy watching these movies. So I bet, I bet, you know, I'm just starting to, you know, how you change social circles from yeah. in, in different passages in your life. And I'm just starting uh, 
he's integrated in this uh, group that I end up at dinner parties. And I was at a party the other night. He was there and he and I get along really great. I'm so looking forward to seeing him the next time to have this conversation because I honestly was ignorant to the fact that he wrote that. Oh, yeah. And, um, I, you know, we get our messages in mysterious ways. But I really like him as a person. He's very normal yeah. in person, very normal, and very down-to-earth, and very unpretentious. And I think it took him and, a while to get to that point. I mean, seriously, like everybody else, did. he goes through a journey, and yeah. I think his journey brought him back to a more humble place. Yeah, and to what's really important in life. Yeah. And, um, you know, you look around, and I look at all the... <clears throat> All the disastrous marriages over my journey that have fallen apart. And I look at the fact that I've been with Alan for 50 years. That's amazing. And, and I'm in love. That's... I'm in love. It's, it's a mad, crazy, passionate love affair. That's wonderful. Seriously. So, wonderful. What else do you want in life? Yeah, exactly. What else? What else? What else? Yeah. Maybe a residency in Vegas that, again, but outside that... of that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I, I missed that. What'd you say? I said maybe a residency in Vegas again, but outside of that, what more do you need? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, in that, well, yeah, you're right there. <laughs> but I'll tell you another thing. Yeah. The fact that I am so openly, um, uh, admittedly in love with my husband makes women like me. And because women like me, they're receptive to my message. So it's all working. It all goes together. I don't want their husband. Right. Yeah. And it's not a con game. You're oh. not just saying these things. It's real. No. And the reality of no. that is what's appealing to people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want their husbands. Yeah. I got my own. That's right. I really like them. <laughs> That's good. You really like them. That's seriously, it's really good. You know, before I let you go back to your life, I, I have one quick, mo- or not, not controversial at all, uh, question about your past. That George Lucas movie, American Graffiti. Right. I'm just curious what sort of memory you have of working with George Lucas, this guy who would go on and obviously change Hollywood, change pop culture. What was, what was it Thanks like making life. that movie? Yeah. So what was that like, that experience of making that movie and working with him? I know it was, well, brief, you know, I wrote, I, I did a one woman Broadway show a few years ago, maybe seven or 10 years ago. I can't remember. Okay. Called the blonde in the Thunderbird. <laughs> there you go. And um, it, it was, it was the journey, but how important that interview that day, I get this, this call from my, my crappy uh, agent who mainly booked me for extra work and she was bored to death with me because I made them no money. And she was English and she said, yeah, I'm going to interview tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, two o'clock at such and such address, George Lucas <laughs> for a movie called uh, uh, Blonde, uh, The American Graffiti. It doesn't require any talent. You just have to be blonde. So... Thanks. Very enthusiastic, I can tell, yes. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. So, uh, next day, I live in Sausalito. I don't have 50 cents to go across the Golden Gate Bridge. I don't have 50 cents. I have no child support. I've got no dresses selling, no desserts are selling this week. I'm out of money. So, I, child of an alcoholic who, uh, you know, we, we thrive for crisis. So I get in my car and I get to the toll taker at the Golden Gate Bridge and he says, 50 cents, please. And I do the, oh gosh, I forgot my wallet. He said, well, you're going to have to leave something as collateral. Oh my God. Oh, 
Oh, so I said, a lipstick? He said, that'll do. Huh. Okay. To this, to this day, I don't know how many lipsticks they have of mine. In these, <laughs> uh, <laughs> another thing they could sell on eBay. Exactly. <laughs> so I get to the, the interview, and I have to park in the red out in front because I don't have any money for the meter. So, oh, again, another crisis. Uh, take another ticket and stick it in my glove box. I go upstairs, and there's probably 200 blonde actresses, all much better looking than me. I assess the room. I say to Gina, the casting agency guy, I can't stay. I'm parked in the red. I don't have any money. I I don't even have money for dinner tonight. I got to go. I can't wait. He goes, wait, wait. George Lucas was very interested in your picture. I said, my picture? He goes, yeah, let me go see if he'll see you. So they let me go in ahead of all these girls. I walk in, and George Lucas, who's a small guy, I don't, I don't know how small he is, but he's slumped down in his chair because he's been looking at blonde girls all day. And I walk in, and he gets sort of embarrassed kind of look on his face, but I don't know what that means because I'm really young. And he says to me, can you drive? And I said, yeah. He says, okay, thank you very much. So I go home. I get the ticket out in front of the thing. I drive home. I walk in the house thinking how stupid can you drive what a stupid waste of my time i walk in the door the phone is ringing says english girl yeah you got the part i said what part she goes you're going to play the blonde in the thunderbird in american graffiti i went i oh my god oh my god oh my god is there a script she goes it's a very small part you won't need a script i said okay can i write it down she goes well if you must i said let me get a pencil i write it down she goes i love you i said Okay, I love you, Anne. She said, that's it. And she hung up. <laughs> so the night of the uh, filming, the night, by the way, uh, the... Uh, the one night, the that's what you're saying, picked, yes. The one night, the night, the studio driver picks me up, and in the car is this other girl, her name is Cindy Williams. Right. And she's in the car. She goes, are you a real actress? And I said, Ooh, uh-huh. That's a little rude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I get in the trailer and there are all these people who I learned later to be. Um, uh, Ron Howard, Cindy Williams, Paul Lamatt, uh, George Lucas, uh, Harrison Ford, whoever else, you know, and then uh, Richard uh, Dreyfuss? Couple of Walker. Oh, no. well, Richard Dre- and Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah. So they're making me up and putting um, this hairdo on me that looks like the Breck shampoo girl and thinking, Oh Jesus. Oh, well, whatever. It's, it's $136 and 72 cents and that'll cover the rent. <laughs> and then when they put me in one of those dresses, right, right, right. Seeing the sunshine. And then I put me in a dress like my sister wore to a senior prom and flat shoes. And I said, why are the shoes? And the wardrobe girl says, cause when you're in the 57 Thunderbird, I want you to feel the whole part. Okay, whatever. So George Lucas comes in to the trailer to give us all a pep talk. And he said, and Lucas is not good at pep talks. Yeah, no. (laughs) And he's, and nobody knows who, and nobody knows who he is yet either. Right. And he says, this, this movie is, is going to be iconic. You're going to see, this is going to be, and this is going to be. And I look around, I look at everybody, which was not a good looking group. And I thought to myself, wow, what a bunch of losers. (laughs) So, He was right. That movie went on to be iconic. It was the highest grossing movie of the year that year. And that is why Johnny Carson said, 
you've all been wondering who the mysterious blonde was. There you go. See? Yeah. And it all goes yeah. together. It all connects. It's the journey. And years later, when I was on Three's Company, it was number one, because I never got even a, a credit on the, on the uh, I got my picture on the album, I guess. I've signed that many times in crowds. Um, but I never got a credit in the movie. Uh, ABC bought the rights the first time ever American Graffiti right. now I'm number one on television it says starring. American Graffiti <laughs> starring <laughs> isn't that great <laughs> I remember looking at Al and I said you live long enough <laughs> That's isn't that amazing that they could say starring nothing yeah. against you but starring Suzanne Summers yeah. whose one line is I love you <laughs> I love That's you it. I love you and I don't even think I you say it out loud yeah. right you mouth it don't you or, or do you actually yeah. say and, that? Oh, oh, and then, oh, yeah, that night of the, of the shooting, um, George Lucas comes up to me, my one direction from this big director. I hear he's a big director. And and I had the night before stood in front of my bathroom mirror and I had a buffet. I could do it any way you want. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did Elvis. <laughs> I did everything. And I was ready for whatever he wanted. Yes, Mr. Lucas. And he says, oh, by the way, just mouth it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I thought, just mouth it. <laughs> So it was all good. It was all great. He's still the shyest person I've ever known. Yeah. I see him at parties and he's just, too, he can't even, he can't even make eye contact. He's so shy, but that's probably the burden he's carried around all his life. Yeah. But anyway, George did well. I did well. We all did well. Please remember SuzanneSummers.com and Suzanne Organics because I'm going to keep you healthy if you want to go my way. <laughs> All right, last question. Looking, and I think you've sort yeah. of addressed this, but looking back over this entire journey you've been on, when you when you stand at the mountaintop where you are now, and I'm saying there is more mountain to climb. I'm not saying there isn't. But where you are now, <laughs> looking down at what has been, what's your overall feeling about it? Gratitude for all of it, for all of it. The highs and the lows. I think when you live in gratitude, I think when you live in gratitude, it leaves room for little else. And I think that's why my head is not filled with negatives. Yeah. I'm just feel, I, you know, I do a thing every morning. And in my writings, I've learned that you and me are approximately 40 trillion cells. I don't know who counted some really anal uh, <laughs> scientists. Right. And all cells have to talk to one another. We are a communication system. So for the last 10 or 15 years, every morning, knowing this, I isolate one cell and it's my morning meditation. And I tell that cell, I love my life. I love my husband. I love my family. I love the food I get to eat. I love my great health. I love that I live in America. I love my work. And then whatever else I'm grateful for. And then I release it. Knowing that one cell has no other choice, but it's got to tell all the rest of them. I love my life. I love my husband. I love my work. I love the food. I love America. I love it. And I tell you, it takes me a nanosecond and I just feel happy. And conversely, if I woke up every morning and said, my life sucks. I hate my marriage. I hate, I hate, I hate. Think of what that poor little guy would have to do. Okay, everybody. It's not good news. So <laughs> that's when I realized <laughs> we are in control of our happiness. We are in control of all our programming for everything. And if people could remember that, I think we could um, 
have a much more enjoyable experience because when you're enjoying life, there's nothing better. I want to live till I die, (laughs) (laughs) but I want that to be a long, long time. It's too great. Hey, let's give that a try. I love my podcast. I love my listeners. I love my subscribers. If Susanna's right, then all of you should be telling your friends to subscribe and everyone should be writing five-star reviews right about now. The woman is a genius. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.